All right, hey, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Now, I say this every week because I want us to remember the big picture. Uh, The big picture is this. Coming out of 2020, we felt like there was a lot of pain, uh, a lot of toxicness kind of just even in our hearts, in the church, in the world. And so we kind of looked at this year as just the year of spiritual health. Um, And so we explored the seven churches of Revelation and where they went off. We we looked at different things to kind of start off the year. We wanted to go through this book of 2 Corinthians because this is just Paul's way of showing us here's a new way to live. As followers of Jesus, Jesus, we do life differently. As followers of Jesus, we live life differently. He says that you and I are a new creation in Christ, and with that, there's a new way of doing life. Obviously, our walk and our lifestyle should look different than the world. So Paul is really just walking us through this. Now, to give you some context, uh, we've been in chapters 8, and now we're in chapter 9. And Paul is saying, okay, there's a new way to live, but there's a new way to give. There's a new way to do generosity. And Paul constantly calls generosity grace. This chapter is just associated with grace. Generosity and grace go hand in hand. The issue was, in Jerusalem, there's a famine. The church is in need. Paul is trying to collect really a gift, like a love offering, uh, for the church in Jerusalem. And he's saying, hey, you wanted to do this a year ago. Now finish what you started. And he's basically challenging them to say, you wanted to be generous. I know your heart is to be generous. Now let's put some feet to your faith and let's be generous. And so it's kind of like a persuasive call to be generous. Now, uh, we're, we're finishing up chapter 9 today. So we're spending three weeks and two chapters uh, trying to kind of go through this with you guys. I, I know that this is one of those topics that sometimes can be like a difficult topic when we talk about generosity, giving. Um, but here's the idea. Obviously, this is a big part of our spiritual development. When it comes to our spiritual formation, that when God's spirit makes us more like Jesus through his word, through disciplines, giving generosity is such a big part of this. I I think you could say we are most like Jesus when we live generously, right? That God so loved the world, he he gave. And I want to make sure we get that. Where there is love, there is giving. If you love someone or something, there will be giving. God so loved, he, he gave. And Paul is basically showing us that, that where there is love, there is giving. Now, let me just say this. If you've missed the last week or the week before, like, this almost doesn't make sense unless you have the full context. You might be offended, like, he forgot something out or he left something out. Go back. This is our, the title today is Generosity, uh, Gospel Generosity Part 3, right? Because we're just kind of continuing this, this topic. But here's the main point. It's in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Our motive matters in generosity. Now, I want to be really clear. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe you're not, I don't want to assume. Maybe you don't know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Paul's like speaking to the church saying, you know the grace of Jesus. You know, more than anything, we want people to know the grace of Jesus. That you and I were dead in our sins, far from God. We could never do anything to get God. God came to us. God rescued us. God saved us. God paid it all. He says, you know the grace of Jesus. He was rich. He left heaven, came to earth. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Not physically or financially rich, but spiritually rich. That Christ's righteousness was placed on us. That you and I were poor spiritually. Now you say we're rich spiritually. Because Christ's righteousness is placed on us. Know this, as we talk about generosity even today, it has to be through the gospel of Jesus. That God was rich, became poor, we who are poor might become rich. Amen? 
Like, we don't want to move on from this. We don't want to forget this. We're not trying to guilt anyone. Paul doesn't try to guilt anyone into living generously, but he's trying to remind them of grace. He's saying grace is that ultimate motivation for giving. And so that's kind of like the big, the big part of this as we walk through this. If you've truly and I truly experienced the grace of Jesus, we're going to be generous people. Now, I just want to stop, start here for a second because I feel like we're in this for three weeks. You're like, ah, oh, another, another sermon on generosity. Um, as we walk through this, you know, I just think, Holy Spirit, there's something you obviously want to do in our hearts. Like there's something you want to do in us. You know, why are we so reluctant? Why, why are we so like, just why is money so close to all of our hearts? I love what Tim Keller said about this. He says, the Bible says there can be no significant spiritual growth unless you put your money and your attitude toward it into God's hands. There can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and what you think about your money into God's hands because it's just too big and just too pivotal an issue. Today, what we're going to be looking at is not how much you give, but how you give. It's not about the quantity. It's just obviously about the heart. And so Paul, who's been really persuading them to live generously, now is kind of talking about, here's how you give. You give cheerfully. So we're just going to walk through this text. It's a beautiful text, and this will be the last message on giving for a while. Amen. Yes, I know you're excited. All right, here we go. Maybe you don't care. I don't know. Uh, verse 6. Here we go. Let's read. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. I love this. I love this. He says, the point is this. If you've ever taught, you're like, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Say amen. Amen. As it is written, quoting from Psalm 112, he says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. Let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your inexpressible gift. God, I thank you for this reminder. I pray that God, just even today, let it not be about money, finances, even generosity, but your inexpressible gift. Jesus, we thank you that you have been so generous, so good to us. We need you. Lord, I just ask that you would just do something in our hearts, that Jesus, you would be our shepherd, that we shall not lack, that not money, not our savings, not our investments, that that would not be our shepherd. God, I just ask that, Jesus, our hope and trust would be in you. That as 
If riches were to increase, we do not set our heart on them, as your word says. We just thank you for the greatest gift in your son, Jesus. And God, we just ask that you'd move, accomplish what it is you want to accomplish in our lives. Use this topic of generosity just to point to you, Jesus. We just want to know you. We want to walk with you, become like you. We just thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, as parents, a big part of our role or job is to teach our kids how to share, right? If you're a parent, you know how hard it is to try to get your kids to share. Uh, yesterday, we were out walking outside, and my kids were on their little scooter, and a neighbor walked up with a two-year-old, uh, just like my daughter. She was a little girl, born a week apart, same hospital. And we just started talking, and she's on her scooter. And then as I'm talking to the husband, my kids disappear, and I'm like, where are they? And I go to find them in the backyard with the mom, playing in the dirt. And so I'm like, okay, we're just talking, talking to the mom and dad. Our daughters are really close in age, and we're just talking about life, and my kids Kids basically take the little two-year-old girls in her backyard, they take her shovels. They take both her shovels. Now she has no shovels. And I'm like, hey guys, can you share? And my baby girl who's two and this cute little boy, she's like, no. And I'm like, I just, it's so cute. You like want to laugh? You're like, please share. This is her like shovel. Please do it. Like, no. And she's just saying no. And so dad's like, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, they need to learn to share. He's like, no, no, she's an only child. She needs to learn to share. I'm like, no, Mike, and we're like going back and forth. And so he goes inside and gets a cup, and she has a cup for a shovel. Then my kid takes the cup, and I'm like, what are you doing? You have a shovel, and you just sold a cup. And we're going through this. His parents just walking through, and I'm like trying to tell my son. My son's six. I'm going, hey, listen, like this is her shovel. Just give her her shovel back. He's like, no. And it is so difficult. Like this is not even yours. And it's weird because sharing is like that, right? You're trying to teach your kids, and I don't know. I, I, if you're a parent, you get this, but I feel like I failed most of the time. Like my kids will end up sharing, but like they are miserable and bitter. And I'm like, okay, they gave it away, but on the inside, they still are holding on to it, right? Like, it doesn't change anything. And it's very frustrating. Like, I think I won this battle, but I probably lost the war. Like, it's awful. And it's weird. You see this within kids. I mean, this is a big part of it. You know, my son recently lost a tooth. So his two front teeth are missing, and it's the cutest thing, and his words are funny now, and I love it. No two front teeth, right? It's like the classic six-year-old age. You see him, it's really cute. And so um, we're supposed to, you know, do the whole tooth fairy thing, give him a couple bucks, and, and we forgot. And he wakes up, he's like, where's my money? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, uh, the tooth fairy forgot. My wife writes, writes she, the next night, she writes a note, leaves it under his pillow, and he can't really read it. She's like, oh, the tooth fairy left you a note. She's been really busy. Here's your money. Like, and so she wrote him a note. He got, it, he got three bucks. The most he got for a tooth was three bucks. And so he's like, this is my money, right? And it's so funny to, to watch. He's like, I have money. And you're like, oh my gosh, what did we just give this kid? And it's scary what you see within kids' hearts. We have a little piggy bank at home, and it has like three quadrants. It says uh, spend, save, share, right? Like the three things you can do with money. And so whenever he gets money, he can put it in spend or save or share, I'm proud of him because save has quite a bit. Spend has the second most, and you can guess what has the last. It's share. And it's so funny just trying to talk, Mike, you got to increase that share budget, dude. Like, it's pretty low. And I remember just talking about this even like a year or so ago. And I'm like, Micah, like anytime we get, if we want to just bless others, bless God, we want to like give to God, let's just put it in like share. And he said to me, he goes, I don't want to put my money in that box at church. That's what he said. I was like, oh my gosh. You guys, our heart is crazy wicked, right? It's crazy wicked. And you're just like, what am I raising? Like, it's so scary. And as we're walking through this, I go, but this is not far from my heart. Like, this is not far from all of our hearts. Like, what is it? What is it when it comes to this? It's just so bizarre, right? You know, and as we're walking through this progress of just like Micah Kinsley share, I got them ice cream and I could not get a lick. I'm like, I bought it. And it's so bizarre. Like, we're the ones trying to work on this. They won't, it's just crazy. And all of this to say, 
I think from the very beginning, God is trying to work on our hearts, obviously, when it comes to generosity. I mean, this is just one of those things we keep so close to our hearts, maybe out of safety and security, maybe out of pleasure. But obviously, God is in pursuit, not of our pocketbook. We know this. He's in pursuit of our hearts. And sadly, so often our pocketbook is connected to our heart. And again, it's not so much like, well, I'll give your money because I'll bless the church. God knows, no, I'm wired you in such a way that as you give, it's going to bless you. It's going to work in you. See, what I love about our text today is he, he, Paul focuses on how to give and even the reward and blessing that comes in giving. You know, what we haven't talked about the last two weeks is that there truly is, uh, generosity truly is rewarded. I don't know if we fully explore that. God just blesses people who are generous. And I want to explore this. I want to unpack this because this can definitely get abused in the church, but also it can get neglected in the church. But there's something about someone, when you see someone be generous, you're like, you just want to bless them more. And God is talking about the hearts of generosity. God is exploring that with, or Paul is exploring that with it, just the people in Corinth. He's saying, listen, God doesn't care about the quantity, but he cares about your heart and your perspective of this in the process. So um, we've just looked at generosity, and I feel like we have six points today. There's probably 20 points in the last three weeks. But we're just going to kind of walk through some points longer than others. But I want to walk through this idea of generosity. Here's the first point today, and we see this in verse 6. Generosity, simply, generosity reaps what it sows. Paul gives a beautiful metaphor and illustration how generosity reaps what it sows. Look again in verse 6, our first point. Verse 6, Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Generosity reaps what it sows. Paul uses this metaphor of like farming, of sowing and reaping to communicate generosity. And this, we get this. He goes, listen, if you throw a little bit of seed on the ground, you're going to get a little harvest. If you throw a lot, you'll get a bigger harvest. Are you risking a little? Are you risking a lot? You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. This word bountifully actually just means blessings. It's so beautiful. He says, if you sow uh, bountifully blessings, you reap blessings. And I love this depiction because it obviously communicates something, right? No farmer is like throwing seed on the ground and sad like, oh, my seed. Like, no, like they're not sad about it. They know like if I, get, if I can sow this well, it can produce harvest. They're not weeping over the loss of seed. They're not weeping over how it's leaving their hands. They're thinking long-term and big picture. And I think Paul is trying to show us the purpose of seeds. The purpose of seeds is not to have seeds. It's to sow them, right? And Paul in that is showing us the purpose of money. And I think we do miss the purpose so often. It's not just to have it, it's to sow it, invest it. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And what is a beautiful truth in life? I mean, you can see this in so many ways. Paul uses this even in Galatians 6 to just talk about the fruit of the Spirit and to talk about do we sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit? You reap what you sow. There's constantly this idea of scriptures. Paul's now using this analogy again to say, listen, bless this church in Jerusalem. They're in need. Don't sow sparingly. You will reap sparingly. Sow bountifully. Sow blessings and you will reap blessings. That's the idea idea. Now, um, this is principle we see throughout scriptures. It's really weird. It's like, almost like bad math to us. You know, math says if I have 10 things and I give away one, now I have less. And it's weird. We think like this is bad math. You have 10, you give away one, you have less. The Bible says if you have 10, you give away one, you have more. It's really bizarre. I love how Proverbs 11 puts it. Proverbs 11, 24, it says, listen to this. We'll put it up here. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. He's saying the one who gives has more. The one who doesn't give has less. 
This is just a principle we truly do see throughout the scriptures. Listen, the more one gives, the more God gives back in return. I actually love how just one author put it, and this is interesting. He says, any fool can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. When you look at that and you think, wow, what am I giving here? Am I sowing a little? I have no idea what it's going to reap or what what I'm going to reap from that later. Or am I sowing a lot? And God is just saying, don't sow sparingly, sow bountifully. Now, obviously, here's the question a lot of people ask. They go, now, what is this harvest? Like, now, what do we reap? If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. We sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. But what is this harvest? Like, what are, we, what are we reaping later on? Is it material? Is it spiritual? Is it one or the other? I'm sowing material things. I, I reap spiritual things. And here's the thing. It's interesting in studying this. I would say yes. It seems to be throughout the scriptures that blessings are possibly going to be for this world in this world and also the world to come. Here's why I want to bring this up so clearly. I think because we've lived in a moment where we've seen possibly the prosperity gospel go out in such a way that I think we've kind of been almost like on edge to think that God would bless us here in this world. And I think we're kind of like in shock towards that in some ways. Maybe we've gone to another extreme, to be honest, because throughout scriptures, we do see this idea that God just rewards and blesses the generous person. And I actually love this. I was trying to like get different insight into this. This kind of surprised me. Here's what John MacArthur says about this. He says, in this context, that refers primarily to material resources because the harvest must be of the same nature as a seed. Having sown material wealth by their giving, believers will reap an abundant harvest of material blessings in return. Now, I want to make sure this is really clear. I don't think this is the primary purpose Paul is trying to communicate. The question, I think that what he's trying to communicate is, and the point is this, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. We do understand that God truly is our Father in heaven who loves to bless his children. And I think that this can be used in the prosperity kind of world where God is like some cosmic pinata in the sky. And if you have your big stick of faith and just whack them enough, you're going to get whatever you want. That is not what Paul is preaching. And we do got to be very careful of that, how this can be abused. But we also don't want to miss out on the point of God just saying, I love to just bless the generous heart. Actually, if you study this text, the harvest Paul points out is like, what do we, what do we reap? We see, listen, we'll put up love of God, love from God, generosity from God, glory to God, friends from God, and likeness to God. This is what you'll sow as you are being generous in this text specifically. But again, just to make sure it is clear, it does seem to be that we will reap, you know, blessings in this world and the world to come. Like, where do you see that in scriptures? Listen, it's Luke 18. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come in eternal life. There seems to be like, hey, there's reward for following Jesus here. There's a reward for being generous here and in the life to come. John Calvin said this. He says, this harvest should be understood both in terms of the spiritual reward of eternal life and also referring to the earthly blessings with which God honors the beneficent. Not only in heaven does God reward the well-doing of the godly, but in this world as well. Just something to be noted. If your heart fights against this, like my heart fights against this, because I don't want to go into like a dangerous territory, I've kind of had to pray and go, God, help me just understand your heart in this. The goal is not just to, we don't give to get. We got to get that. The Bible's never been about give so you can get. Actually, the gospel says we get to give. See, it's not so much we give to get, we truly get to give. And God is after a heart in that process. And that cannot be a reason why 
But I just want to see some, some more verses on this. So we don't fight this. We can kind of just rest as we're generous. God will be faithful. God will provide. God will meet our needs. But just kind of rest in this. It's Luke 6. Jesus says, what does he say? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. With the measure you give, the measure will be back to you. This is a principle we see in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what he says. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth being very specific with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's just that principle, honor the, hey, God, first it's you. I'm gonna honor the Lord with you. My first fruits, it goes to you. And he goes, and watch. Watch your, your barns be overflowing, meaning you're, you're not gonna outgive God in this. I mean, we just constantly see this. Proverbs 19, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and God will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs 28, he who gives the poor will never want, will never lack. I just want to point this out. God says, listen, I, you're going to be generous. I want to bless people who are generous. Let's put, it, let's put it this way. In Luke 16, Jesus gives a parable of the faithful steward and just the unfaithful steward. The faithful steward obviously took what God gave him and multiplied it. The other one buried it and wasted away. Here's what we see on a big picture. God goes, if you're a good steward with what I give you, I want to continue to give to you, right? If you're a bad steward with what I give you, you're going to have less, you think about this. God told Abraham, says, Abraham, I have blessed you so you can be a blessing. There's something about, I want to bless you, not so you are blessed and you're this reservoir. I've blessed you so that blessing flows through you and be a blessing to others. If God has blessed you in any way, it's not just for you and your benefit, it's so that it will flow through you to others. Amen? Blessing is to be a blessing. If you're blessed, it's to bless others in this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits. He's basically saying, hey, if you live generously, watch me continue to be faithful to you. Obviously, this can get abused. And we'll look at verse 8, and I think it balances out a little bit in verse 8. But I don't want to, like, neglect this or overlook this. This is so important. And here's just the last verse on this. We, again, like I said, we do not give or be generous. So, like, hoping God now will bless me. That we're missing the point. Jesus said in Luke 6, 35, listen, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Like, huh? I love that. Don't expect anything, but you're going to have a reward. So good. Don't expect anything, but your reward will be great. Just interesting. My heart in giving or being generous is not so I can get. But God's like, watch, you be generous, you have a reward. You give a cup of cold water in my name, you by no means lose your reward. There is a reward attached to generosity. There's just a blessing attached to generosity. You, you sow bountifully, you sow blessings, you will reap blessings is how the verse is put. So number one is this, uh, generosity reaps what it sows. Amen. Number two, generosity is done cheerfully. Look at verse seven. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's important, as you decide in your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is good. This is the point, right? He's like, God just loves someone who gives cheerfully. There's nothing like being around like a sad giver. Like that's miserable, right? If you got your spouse or somebody you love a gift, you're like, here you go. That's not very funny. Like, oh, thank you. Like no one wants a sad giver. You know, it's easy. We can spend cheerfully. It's easy to spend cheerfully. When you like hit that Amazon order and like it comes at your front door and you have that like excitement. It's so fun, right? Spending cheerfully, like got that down. That's not what the Bible says. He says, giving cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. There's just something about a cheerful giver, right? You're going, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do this. I get to be part of this. Thank you, God, that you've given something to me so I can give back to you. There's something about giving cheerfully that is just so fun to be around. Again, it's like that child illustration. 
My kids, when they give something, but they're crying and yelling at me and like spitting, I'm not like, oh, I'm so proud of you, you shared. Like, I don't care that you shared, right? It's the heart and the attitude and the process that matters so much. And here's what this ultimately reflects. reflects. Do you think God ever gives begrudgingly? Is God like, oh, I just want to give this, this humans on earth ruin everything, right? Like, what is its heart towards us? I, I love how it says in obviously Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. The joy, God, God is such a cheerful giver. You know, one of, one of the verses, my favorite verses that was inscribed on my wedding ring until I lost it, um, it was out of Luke chapter 12. And in Luke 12, it was a, it was a chapter of the Bible I read the day I asked um, my father-in-law for permission to marry my wife like 14 years ago, which is crazy. I don't know. Crazy. Um, and I remember like sitting at the park, reading my Bible, I'm like about to go play golf with my fa- future father-in-law and ask him for permission, just terrified. And I don't know, I was, gosh, I was 19. I, it was crazy, craziness. Um, and I remember kind of going through that and God brought me to Luke 12. And God's just talking about, just do not worry. God takes care of the birds of the air. How much more he take care of you? And you're re- I'm reading this going, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad I'm just happy to be going through this right now. And I get to Luke 12, uh, 32, and this is what it says. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And here's the thing. I love that. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why does Paul say give cheerfully? Because God gives cheerfully. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think we've all have maybe a different view of God based off our childhood or growing up or talking to other Christians or experience in church or different things. We maybe have a view of God that is unhealthy. And I want you to see God as it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you'll wear. Do not worry about what you eat. That's the context of Luke 12. Do not worry about these things. And he goes, all the pagans, they worry about that, not you. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a beautiful thing. God has been so good in what he's given to us. Amen. I mean, one of the, the biggest things, again, we're walking through is just, if, even with our kids, I'm sorry, I keep using these illustrations, but it's true. It's just like, be thankful for what you have. Be, like, look, like, don't look at what you don't have. Just, God, you've been so good. You've been so faithful. Thank you so much. And it's our Father, he gives cheerfully. And Paul says, hey, be like your Father. Give cheerfully as well. I love how one author put it. He says, God himself is such a giver and desires to see his characteristic restored among those who are created in his image. God wants to see that generous spirit restored stored in us as image bearers of God. We've got, this has kind of been broken when sin came into us, sin came into the world. And again, we, we really aren't givers by nature. We're hoarders by nature. And this is something beautiful and the gospel just really comes into your life and the power of Jesus comes into your life. You go from a hoarder to a giver. You go, God's been so generous. I have to be generous. There's really no other option in this. And Paul says, and in the fact, God doesn't care again about how much you give, but just the fact that the attitude and the spirit in which you are giving. And again, this is so important because he goes, as each one has decided in his heart, as each one has decided cited in his heart. You see that as we talked about this last week, generosity is not a one hit and run kind of thing. It's this ongoing lifestyle that we practice. We practice generosity. We live in that, determining that in your heart. I don't know why. This is just one of my favorite stories. I was talking to a pastor. Uh, his, his church is in Boca Raton, older gentleman, been around South Florida for 40 plus years in ministry. He started something called the Church Planting Network. They, they planted hundreds of churches and through those churches planted hundreds more. I mean, this guy has been a part of really thousands of church plants around the globe. He told me how he, he brought a, a couple of just wealthy people with him over to India to one of their church plants. And as they're there in India, he's like, look at this. He goes, we invested $30,000 into this church the last couple of years. He goes, there, there, I think there's like 300 plus believers in that place. He goes, some of these came out of Islam and, and Hinduism and look what God is doing. And the, and the guy's like, this is awesome. I want to give $30,000. And he's like, great. He's like, why just 30 though? He's like, huh? He's like, is, is that difficult for you? 
And his whole point was, I know, like, you've shared with me your net worth, like, $30,000 is not even, like, 0.0001%. You know, he's like, he's like, let, what about, you know, he starts talking to Morgan. He's like, I want to do two church plants, $60,000. And he just, his whole challenge was, one, do you feel that? Like, do you feel that? When you give, is it something you feel? And two, are you doing this out of compulsion because I just showed you the budgets that make sense mathematically for you to get? He's like, can you do this cheerfully? What does cheerful giving look like for you? How can, you, how can this become not a duty, but how can this become something you do cheerfully? And he goes, God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, when we, when we give to the Lord, it should not be like our taxes. Like, all right, what do I have to give God this? Like, it should never be sort of like this, like, oh, I got to do this. And it's not that, God is like, I don't want that. I don't want that. It is sad to me how soft in the church you hear people talk about giving or money, and it's almost like God is going broken, he needs your money. And the reality is God doesn't want people to give with a heart that's just unwilling. God's like, I don't want that reluctant spirit. God loves a cheerful giver. Again, ultimately God is, God is after heart in this process. Generosity is just done cheerfully. When you see generosity done well, it is so cheerful. Uh, there's this older gentleman who's just been such a blessing to our family and to our church over the years, and one day we're getting coffee, we're sitting there, and I love this. He's always been this way. Whenever we're driving to lunch, someone had a flat tire, we pull over. Like, he always is looking for opportunities and needs. We're just sitting there in Starbucks, and this homeless person walks in, and they're not, like, serving him. And he's like, hey, why don't you come sit down with us? He's like, I'm, what's your name? What's your story? And he listens to them. He's like, can I just pray? Can I pray for you? He prays with the person, opens his wallet. Whatever he had in there, he just gave it to him. He goes, Jesus loves you. Listen, in my heart and mind, I'm thinking the same thoughts you're thinking. This guy looked like they were just going to go use it and spend it on drugs and waste it. And you're like, what is he doing? But in reality, he got to share the gospel with him. He got to pray over him. He got to love him. He smiles and says, Jesus loves you so much. You'll never know. But if you ever want more, this is a church in the area. And I just loved how he's like, I don't care what he does. And we've talked about this. What if Jesus' mindset was, but God, if I go to earth and rescue and redeem mankind, they're going to walk all over my blood that I spill for him. They're not going to appreciate it. They're going to abuse it and reject it. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't look at us and say they're not going to be thankful for it. He still gave it. And you just see generosity is truly done in a cheerful way. You're just like, Lord, thank you. I get to be a part. You have blessed me so I can be a blessing. This is the heart of generosity. Number three, we'll keep going in verse eight. But generosity is trusting or is trust in God's provision. When you think about generosity, it truly means I have to trust God in this moment. Look at verse eight. Verse eight. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what I want you to see. When you are generous, you are trusting that God is going to provide. Generosity is really saying, God, I could use this money, obviously. I can think of ways to use this, but I don't care. I love you. I trust you. I'm going to give to you and trust that you're going to meet my needs. Because again, look at verse 8. This is really the height of it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love this. All grace abound to you. I mean, let's just think about this. There's nothing better that we can receive from God than all grace abounding to you. It's like, what do you want from God? In reality, I just want grace, man. Like at the end of the day, I just say, God, I just need, need grace. I want grace. He says, God is able to make all grace. It's not trying to get something from God. If you have Jesus, you have everything, truly. We go, I need grace. And he goes, he's able to make all grace. And I love this, abound to you. And then he says, insufficiency, just meeting those needs. 
So Paul would later write in Philippians 4.19, follow with me, he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what this means. As you are generous, God will meet your needs. You do have to trust that. That is, that is a true, as you give and live that kind of way, you really have to trust that. I just remember being in a season, newly married, we were newly married, moved here, um, I don't know, I was making like 25,000 a year, right? Uh, we tithe, we had about 2250 taxes, I don't know, less than 20,000, newly married, wife not working the time for a couple months. It was hard, right? It was hard. And I remember walking through that season like, okay, Lord, he was so faithful, so faithful. I, I remember I was eating a, a, a sandwich at a restaurant, and the worker comes up to me and goes, hey, I just feel like God has told me to give you $1,000. I'm like, what? Writes a check and hands it to us. I'm like, um, is it the perfect timing? I've heard of those stories and never experienced one of those things till that moment. I'm like, wow, God, you're so faithful. God has been so faithful. As we've been generous, I'm just saying God has been so faithful. I'm not trying to say it's, it's, it's God's grace. It's completely God. I'm just saying as we've like, do I do this? Can I do this? Can we afford this? God has been so faithful. God will meet all of your needs. Now, I want to be really clear when it says that. It doesn't mean that all our desires or felt needs will be met. When it says God will meet all of your needs, it doesn't mean all of your felt needs or all of your desires will be met. This can be so abused. It doesn't mean even the church for us, it doesn't mean that every conceivable good work will be funded. Because he talks about in verse 8 that for every good work. It doesn't mean just because we have an idea that God's going to provide for it. Right? We've got to be really careful with how this can be abused. But at the same time, I'm just saying God has been so faithful. Way more faithful than I have been. Way more consistent than I have been. Way more consistent, way more faithful than you and I are. God is so faithful in this process. I love Psalm 84. It says it this way. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. The idea is just be faithful. Be consistent. If you're stressed about your future or security, you realize that you know, you're putting your faith or trust not in God, but in what you have, in your provision, in your money, in your wealth. God is saying, no, no. I'm not going to withhold anything good from those who walk uprightly. God is so faithful. He's able to make all grace abound to you. Again, having all sufficiency in all things at all times may abound in every good work. Unbelievable. All things, all times, always. He's just like saying, don't you see that God's going to be faithful to you? Don't you know that you, you're, not, you're truly not going to outgive God in this way? This is what Paul is walking us through. And I love when he says sufficient in all things. The word sufficient just means content. When I say trusting in God's, generosity is trusting in God's provision. He's saying, listen, as you are generous, you are going to be content. It's funny because people pursue wealth and money and all that status. And in reality, they don't have contentment. It might not be. He's saying, as you are generous, watch that contentment, that satisfaction, that peace, that surpasses understanding. Watch that follow. Sufficient in all things. That word sufficient is content. I love how Paul said it in 1 Timothy 6. Listen, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul is saying contentment is not attached to what you have. You brought nothing in. You're going to take nothing with you. He's saying he's sufficient. He's, sufficient. He's, he's able to make you content in all things. The goal is contentment. I want to be content in Christ. Paul says, I have learned to have a lot, and I have learned to have a little. I'm content in all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in regards to contentment. The goal is saying, God, I just want to be content with who you are, what you've done. This is so beautiful. It's so necessary. Because we know that people can have everything and still be incredibly empty. You can have everything you've ever wanted and craved and still live a miserable, discontent life. 
You know, that's quoted in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people, but I love how one author put it. He says, money can buy a house, but not a home, a bed, but not rest, food, but not an appetite, medicine, but not health, information, but not wisdom, thrills, but not joy, associates, but not friends, servants, but not loyalty, flattery, but not respect. Yes, you go, money you think will make you content, and he goes, no, it can't really buy true contentment. It's all sufficiency from him. And the point in verse 10 is saying, you know what he does meet? He meets your greatest need of all. Verse 10, he says, to increase the harvest of your righteousness. You want to know how God's going to meet your needs? You and I, when we stand before God, we're going to need the righteousness of Jesus placed on us. We're going to need that more than anything. He says he's going to increase that. Meaning your needs, your need for justice, for grace, for mercy before you stand before God, that's going to be met. Increase your righteousness. Keep going in verse 11. Here's what we see. Generosity for them, it led to the worship of God. Generosity leads to worship. Keep going. Verse 11. Verse 11, we'll read. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Generosity leads to the worship of God. Notice that. You produce thanksgiving and many thanksgiving. He's basically saying, guys, as you are generous, you're meeting their physical needs, but you're meeting their spiritual needs. They're going to be thanking God, praising God. Generosity truly always does lead to worship of God. Here's what I want to get at. I love this about the church, about the body of Christ. The church is the one organization, or you could say, by Jesus, by the grace of God, and through the generosity of his believers, generosity of the church has led to meet material, physical needs of the world and spiritual needs of the world. I love love this because if you think about the hospitals, the orphanages, everything done in the name of Jesus and the gospel, we're saying there's a need. We want to meet that need. There's brokenness. We want to help meet that brokenness. But I love that. We're not just here to feed people or give people health temporarily. We're saying but there's also a spiritual need that people have. And that spiritual need is to know who they're created by and what they're created for. And we are made by him and for him. And here's what Paul is getting at. He says in verse 11 through 12, notice, he met their needs in Jerusalem, but they gave thanksgiving to God. Their, their physical needs are met, but so are their spiritual needs. God knows we need to worship him. God knows we're wired to worship. God knows that, that we'll find most satisfaction and contentment in life when we find out what we're made for and who we're made for. And I love about the church is they're saying we want to meet physical needs and we want to meet spiritual and eternal needs. That we're saying we're not just here to do one or the other. We can miss it as the church when we don't meet physical needs. We miss it. We can miss it when we only meet physical needs, but the gospel of Jesus is not being preached and people aren't being, uh, fo- being following in the image of God and worshiping him and knowing him and loving him. And I love this, that the Bible is basically saying, hey, we as followers of Jesus meet the physical needs, but know what? They give thanksgiving to God. We, we care about the material and the immaterial. We care about the soul and we care about the physical and the, and the body. The church is so beautiful. I'm so thankful that in the name of Jesus, hospitals have been built, orphanages have been built, all of these things done, but ultimately the gospel of Jesus is spreading, that the gospel gets out. And Paul is saying it's led to thanksgiving. It's led to worship. It's led to people understanding what they are created for. This is so important. We are not just generous to give someone food and they're hungry the next day. We are generous because we want the gospel of Jesus to go out and not just their physical body is fed, but that their spiritual needs are fed and met. And they might come to know Jesus. We give in a way that says we want to meet spiritual needs and physical needs. Amen? Generosity meets both needs. When it comes from the church, it meets both needs. And we don't want to do one or the other. 
We care about the hurts and the needs and the brokenness, and we also care about ultimately how people need to know who and what they were created for, and that is Jesus. We are made by him and for him. And Paul says, look at your generosity is leading people to thank God. It's leading people to worship God. You know, it is so sweet when you see that. I think about this when we were in our house praying for this church, and we're like, how are we going to do church and set up, and someone donated a box truck to us. That little box truck was so faithful for a couple of years, but it broke down over and over and over again. And we're like, sometimes the truck got here like 20 minutes before you guys arrived. It was crazy. We had this like madness. About a month ago, someone's like, I want to donate a box truck to you guys. And we're like, this could not come at a better time because this thing keeps breaking down in the middle of the road. And I just love how God has met our needs in the most crazy, practical ways. And we go, you know what? And I've seen it. It goes, God, thank you. God, thank you. And what it does, it increases faith. It turns into worship. You go, God, you're so good. You see our needs. You meet our needs. You're so faithful. I'm just saying generosity truly does that to believers. If you've ever given, you know what it does to your heart. When you give to someone, it causes you to worship. God, thank you. If you've ever received, you go, God, thank you that you see my needs. It's just so beautiful. Generosity leads to worship of God. Amen? It has and it will. Number five is this. Generosity comes from confession of the gospel. Verse 13. Stay with me, guys. Don't miss this. Verse 13. He says, by their approval of this service, they, they will glorify God because, listen, of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. This is interesting. Generosity comes from confession of the gospel. He says it's by your submission of your confession of the gospel of Christ. He's saying you being generous was you following God, obeying God. You're like listening to him, but it ultimately stems from your confession of the gospel. Meaning if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you are saved, right? If you confess with your mouth and believe your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And this confession, Paul is saying, will ultimately lead to you being generous. It leads to that submission of, we gotta meet this. We get to be part of this. And here's what that does. Anyone who's confessed that Jesus is good, anyone who confesses Jesus, your Lord, you saved me by your blood, you saved me by your grace. I was dead in my sins and you gave it all for me. He says, you're gonna be generous. It's just, it's just gonna be part of your DNA. It has to be. You're made in the image of God. It's gonna be, just be a part of who you are. Now as an image bearer of God, just as redeemed image bearer of God, God is generous, you're gonna be generous. This is just who you and I are gonna be. And he says, and the generosity of your contribution. If you look at verse 13, that word contribution, uh, it's just this idea, it's this word truly in Greek, koinonia. He's saying, you have a partnership in generosity. Like there's a fellowship, there's a community in being generous. I think that the church of Jesus is the most generous community and should be and always be the most generous community. Saying we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We're going to be generous. And he says, because of your confession, your belief, it's led to you being generous. And then here's what Paul does and ends with. And this to me is the climax and point of this. Paul is basically persuading them to live generously. He's talking about it, but then it just turns into worship for him. His, his belief of God turns into worship. Look at this in verse, six, verse 15. Paul ends with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Lastly, generosity is always done in view of Jesus. When you give, you, this is what Paul's doing. He's writing about generosity and he can't help but turn into worship. 
He's basically saying it to, for us to live generous, give cheerfully, do it in this way because of your confession. And then he's like, but thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I love that just turn, like his theology turned into doxology. His knowledge of God turned into praise and worship and song. He goes, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This word inexpressible is a made up Greek word. This is actually the earliest time we see this word after this. We'll see this word being used in different ways. Paul made up this word because he goes, I can't describe this indescribable gift. So I'm going to make up a word. I don't know why. I just love that. I don't know if you guys heard the story of how J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the creator of Lord, Lord of the Rings, he, he made up a word. It's called eucatastrophe. Or euca- I can, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but like eucatastrophe. He basically took the idea of like, uh, we have a, a catastrophe, something unexpected pain and harm. And he's like, we don't have a word for unexpected joy and deliverance. And so he created this word eucatastrophe to be like, when there's breakthrough of deliverance, like God just shows up in an, in an incredible way and meets needs in an incredible way. And he just made up this word because like, we don't just want to look at the negative of catastrophes in this world. There has to be these breakthrough moments of joy. And that's what Paul is basically, he's like, I don't know how to describe God's gift. So I'm going to have to make up this word, this inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's obviously referring to Jesus here and says, I can't lose sight of why we give. We give because Jesus first gave. Guys, in anything and everything we do, it's the gospel of Jesus. If my heart for our church is how can we just view any issue through the gospel of Jesus? I think there's this battle for how we view life. Do we view life primarily through politics? Do we view life primarily through our race? Do we view life primarily through our finances where we sit? Or do we view life through the gospel of Jesus? I want us to view life through the gospel of Jesus. As he's talking about generosity, he goes, the main motive is this inexpressible, indescribable gift that God has given to us. I mean, think through this. Just what has Jesus given to us? What has Jesus given to us? You could say, man, I can't even count it. A peace that surpasses understanding, forgiveness of sins, access to God the Father, grace upon grace, a new community, a new name, a new home, new life, I mean, obviously, Paul is saying we could never outgive God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Like, we could never. Think about all that Jesus has done for us. Paul's whole point is don't be generous because you know you should do this. You ought to do this. But know you can give because it makes you most like Jesus. Because God so loved, he gave. And we want to be like God. This is the best way for us, I think, in some ways, to be restored into the image of God. God, you so love, you're generous. We're going we're gonna to live this out the same way. My hope, church, is as we walk through this, is that the Holy Spirit in this process, our tight hands, our tight grip on our finances, on our stuff, that God will just kind of open our hands. Open to take, open to put things in. God, my hands are open. It's yours. You can take things out. You can put things in. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That is Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, he is the greatest gift. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the greatest gift. God did not redeem you with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. God did not give you his worst. God gave you his best. God says, I love you so much. I'm going to redeem you with my son, my only son, whom I love. I love you so much. You only get the best. God so loved he gave. In light of that, we don't give God our seconds, our thirds. We give him our best. We say, God, thanks be to you for your inexpressible gift and that we get to be a part of this. Amen.